right, Thaddeus. Hey, just real quick, um, the way you can tell it's not October yet is there's no hockey. Uh, and so, yeah, once hockey season comes, then we know it's October and uh, the season has fully changed. So real quick, before we dive into our message today, I want to highlight a couple resources that are out on the table. Um, the first one is a book called Imagining the Future by Daniel Isgrig. Um, these, are, these are not books that we're going to go through as a church. We are going through a series um, I don't know how many weeks it's going to be. We're going to talk about the book of Revelation. And I put some resources out there that may aid you in that process. And so all of them will be available only through the month of September. Um, they're a little bit more expensive than the normal books we buy. The Kindle versions are cheaper. So if you have a Kindle and you use that device, um, they're, they're far cheaper on there. I make no money off of these, so I don't care where you purchase it, if you purchase it. But I want to make some of them available to you. And this book kind of goes through the history of Assemblies of God eschatology. That word eschatology just means our study of end times. Um, that's basically a word we're going to use quite a bit um, as we go through talking about the book of Revelation. But way back, uh, maybe at the beginning of this year, I listened to a podcast by Daniel, and uh, he was talking about the Assemblies of God history of eschatology and how our views had changed and what our views really are in the Assemblies of God. And that surprised me. Uh, I was not aware of our views totally, and so I purchased his book, and I did some study, and then I started reading some other books, and uh, that's how this book of Revelation uh, study for me personally, and why I wanted to share some of these things with you, has come about. And then the second book that's out there is called Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. And N.T. Wright will take you through um, the New Testament, kind of dissecting some of the ways that we have started to look at the world um, through a dualistic lens. Um, dualism is a very Greek philosophy, um, but it's kind of crept its way into the church through Gnosticism, a little bit that we talked about last week. And he'll talk about the, the rapture of the church, the second coming of Jesus, how we view heaven as a place way up there somewhere that we go when we die, and why that's not necessarily the way the Bible describes it. And so it is a very... Uh, thoughtful book. I'll just say that. So it's not the type of book that you're just going to, you know, read when you're getting ready to fall asleep at night or just read for pleasure or fun. You're really going to put some thought into it. Um, it took me about a year to make it through his book, and uh, I want to go back and read it again because you never get everything the first time. And uh, But it's a great resource for you to have. If you don't read it right away, it's a great resource for the future. So that is out there. Then there's the book Reading Revelation Responsibly by Michael Gorman. This is, the subtitle of this book is called Uncivil Worship and Witness, Following the Lamb. Can you throw those pictures up there? There you go. Um, Unfollowing uh, um, the Lamb into the New Creation. This book will challenge, if you grew up in an, in an evangelical Western church here, where you kind of were taught that the Rev book of Revelation is all about the end of the world and pointing to who the Antichrist is and pointing to what the, you know, the one world order is going to be, this book will challenge some of that thinking. And uh, I'll be sharing a little bit later on why I think we need to challenge some of that thinking. Even if that's the correct view of the book of Revelation, I don't think we should dismiss what other people are teaching. And so this is a great resource. It's the least thoughtful of the books that are out there. So when I say that, I mean it's the easiest to read and understand. Um, but that is also available to be out there. And then this week, I put one more book out there. 
um, that I read that someone brought up to me. It's called How to Be a Patriotic Christian. How to Be a Patriotic Christian by Richard Mao. And that book is a little bit cheaper and a lot easier to read. And I think that's a book that every American Christian, any nationality really, ought to read. And so those are available to you in the back. One more thing, I'm going to be sending out um, a, an invitation to join a Bible reading plan over the next couple weeks. It's actually a seven-day plan that we're going to stretch a little bit, but it's called Reading Revelation Wisely. And it's put out by the Bible Project. So there's some videos that go along with it. There's some things to read. It's going to kind of give the basis of what apocalyptic literature is that we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. And it'll take us through a view of um, the book of Revelation and the Scripture in the sense of it's one story that points to Jesus. The Bible Project, if you're not familiar with them, you can go to thebibleproject.com. And they present lots of videos and lots of information about how to read your Bible, how the Bible is one complete story that always points to Jesus. It's what we would call a Christ-centered hermeneutic. The word hermeneutic, I'm going to teach you a lot of fun words over the next couple of weeks. The word hermeneutic is just the way we interpret Scripture. Okay? So there are lots of different hermeneutics. Most of us were taught to treat this book kind of like a textbook. You just read it, and then you apply it. You just read it like a Western Christian, and you just take it, and you put it into your life. I don't know that that's how we're supposed to interpret the Bible. I tend to look at the Bible more through the lens of a Jewish hermeneutic, where what did it mean to the, the original authors of the book, who were all the way by part of the nation of Israel, all Jewish, and what did it mean in that context? So when I understand it in that context, then I can bring it into my context and know how to apply it in my life today. And so that's more the, the hermeneutic that I tend to follow. Um, but that also lines up with the Christ-centered hermeneutic as well. And so we'll talk about those different lenses kind of as we go. Last week, I kind of set up this series by talking about Labor Day. It was Labor Day last weekend, and so I, I usually don't follow the calendar or bring up like what's happening on the calendar for events, except for Resurrection Day. Uh, that's a pretty significant one. And then Christmas is pretty significant too, but I don't always preach a Thanksgiving sermon at Thanksgiving. Um, I feel like Everybody thinks about Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving. We ought to preach the Thanksgiving services in the middle of July or something, or June, when we're like, oh, yeah, I forgot I was supposed to be thankful. Um, I feel like we get enough of it through all of our culture, so I don't necessarily follow the calendar. But as I was studying the book of Revelation, I really felt like the Labor Day, Patriot Day weekend was, the, those two weekends was the time I was going to unpack or start unpacking this series. And so Colossians chapter 3 from last week, just a quick review. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you're serving. Now, if you were here last week, I'll just apologize to you if you listened. There were a few times that I know I misspoke um, like one of them where was when I said there's no secular music. <laughs> That's not quite what I meant. Um, we were talking about the secular, sacred-secular divide and how we just assume anything that doesn't have Jesus in it is secular. I don't agree with that. I think that you can, 
you can have a painting that is very much God-inspired that doesn't have a um, quote-unquote Christian label or ease on it. You can sing a song that has, uh, that's very good and very uh, earthy, if you will, but not necessarily anti-kingdom of God. And so we, we tend to think that it's either one or the other. And I don't know that those lines are as black and white as we've made them in the past. And then we also talked a lot about Gnosticism and maybe got a little lost in the Gnosticism weeds. But hopefully you walked away last week with the understanding that every part of our lives is under the headship of King Jesus. That everything we do is for him. That heaven is not just that place up there in the sky or that place that we're going to go to. But in Colossians, when Paul says, set your mind on the realities of heaven, he's talking about the, the kingdom of heaven, the realities of what that kingdom looks like and how that should infiltrate every part of our lives now and also later on. So that was kind of where we were last week. So then today is Patriot Day. Many of you hopefully know what Patriot Day is. We've been celebrating Patriot Day since 2002. In October of 2001, in response to the September 11th attacks on uh, the American, the Pentagon, the World Trade Center in New York City, and then also the, the plane that went down in the field in Somerset County, Pennsylvania, in response to that, a Republican representative from New York put together a bill to make a national day of mourning and remembrance to honor and reflect on the lives that were lost on that day. There are memorial sites now at the Pentagon. There are memorial sites at, the, at Ground Zero at the World Trade Center. There's uh, a memorial site in Somerset County, Pennsylvania in that field for these different events. Um, I've been to the Pentagon one. I've been to the World Trade Center site to see those memorials, and they're, they are profound. They're surreal. Uh, when you think about what happened on that day in that place. And the interesting thing is this bill that went forth was co-sponsored by 11 Republicans and 11 Democrats. Yeah. Probably the last time we really worked together in our nation, sadly. But when we think about September 11th and some of the images of September 11th, I put some of them on the screen for you. Um, we often think about where were we? Where were you on September 11th when you heard the news? And some of you weren't even born. Maybe you were in the womb. Um, but others of you, you, you know where you were when you first heard the news or you first saw the images. For Christy and Kedrick and I, we were actually in New York City um, up until September 7th of 2001. In fact, we took this picture on the Staten Island Ferry. It's the one on the bottom of the screen there. And if you can see the date, it actually says September 5th, 2001. And you can see the World Trade Center over my shoulder. And uh, I love New York City. And uh, I just love the atmosphere, the people, everything about it. It's just wonderful. I could go there every year for vacation if money was no object. Um, and my wife also loved it. But she, she tolerates it, but I love it. It energizes me. I love that place. Um, and so I actually got my son a few years later when we went back. Um, you can tell by the smile on his face, he's humoring me, to reenact the picture with the new World Trade Center 1 over my left shoulder. And so we were in Iowa on our way back from that trip when the 
the attack began to happen, and we were in the breakfast room watching on TV, but most of it, for us, was just what we heard on the radio. We didn't actually see the images live like many other people did, but do you, I want you to think about what we, we felt that day as a nation. I want you to look at these two pictures. These are from Ground Zero in New York City, and they were very popular pictures right after that day. I remember watching David Letterman when he came back on the air, and for the first time in my life, seeing David Letterman as a human being. I mean, he could barely talk. Like, the weight of that moment was so surreal. He didn't even want to go back on the air. He felt like everything they did on that show was not important anymore. And they were, he was just, you've got to remember, he was pretty much at ground zero, so he's overcome by that moment. And if you remember uh, President Bush, when he visited ground zero and uh, stood up on that, that truck with the retired, I can't remember his name, firefighter who happened to be there that day, um, just really to get a glimpse of the president and uh, him beginning to speak and try to inspire and put hope in these rescue workers that were trying their best to save lives. Um, hopefully finding not just dead bodies in the rubble, but people. And you remember the, the shout that cried out um, from the back, we can't hear you! And immediately his response was, we can hear you! That's patriotism. That moment when the love of country wasn't about ideology, wasn't about... Um, Democrat or Republican, it was this common bond that we had as peoples, as citizens of this nation that were coming together in a moment um, that was very difficult, that was very tragic. And we, we stood together, and that love of country actually drove a lot of people to the church, which didn't last long. And we can look at the world and we can blame the world, but I, I put a lot of the fault in that moment on the church. We weren't ready for them. When they came knocking at our doors looking for answers or hope, I don't know that we provided it for them. And we just kind of jumped right back into our, our lives. And this day becomes less and less important to us. I'd encourage you today, if your kids have never been a part of September 11th or seen it, watch some videos together. I'd encourage you to, depending on their age, make sure that you preview those before you share them, but this is something that I, I really chose this day to begin to talk about the book of Revelation for a reason. The book of Revelation is going to address whether or not patriotism is good or bad. I don't think it's going to tell us whether it's good or bad. I think it's going to tell us that there's a dangerous part of patriotism and there's a good part of patriotism. And so as we start to walk through the book of Revelation, I want you to understand that you have to please hear everything that I say over the next several weeks. Because if you walk out of here with just a piece of what I've said, you may misuse it. Keep it in the backdrop of what those pictures and what I just shared with you about what patriotism felt like and is in our country. I've titled the message, and we're going to use the same title for several weeks, The Donkey, the Elephant, and the Lamb. The Donkey, the Elephant, 
in the Lamb. I don't plan over the next several weeks to tell you how to believe in regards to patriotism. I don't believe I'm going to tell you how to believe in regards to the book of Revelation. I'm going to present a lot of ideas to you and hopefully give you the opportunity to wrestle with the Scripture, with the Holy Spirit, and invite me for coffee and we can wrestle together on it on a deeper level. But it's not really about what I believe or what you believe. It's really about trying to wrestle with what the Scripture teaches us and how to look at it. The Bible is full of what we would call paradoxes. Things that seem to be opposites, but they, um, but they are both true. And sometimes we don't know what to do with them. We sometimes look at those as a bad thing, as Western believers or as American believers especially. Um, but there's, a, there's this tool called the oscillating tool, the oscillating saw, and I have a picture of it. I don't know much about tools, so if I misspeak, Todd, don't tell me. Um, <laughs> feel free to correct me later. But from what I know, the oscillating tool, this is, this is the advertisement I found for the oscillating tool, is one of the handiest tools you can have around the job site or the workshop. Its versatility lets you accomplish numerous tasks that would be impossible with other tools. You can sand, saw metal, wood, drywall. You can make large holes. You can plunge cut into hardwood or undercut a doorway. And here's the thing about the oscillating saw or the oscillating tool is that by itself, the, the side of that tool will not cut. I mean, it's not like a reciprocating saw. A reciprocating saw has a sharper blade, and you can actually use that blade even when it's not powered. You could actually cut things, and you can use that saw to cut. But you can't do that with an oscillating saw. The oscillating saw requires the back-and-forth action. And that tool goes back and forth at a high rate of speed, and that's actually what does the cutting. And that tool then becomes very useful in some places that other tools wouldn't be able to cut. As Christians, as believers here, especially at Restoration Church, we have to hold our non-essential doctrines, especially our views of eschatology, in an open hand. When we start to get dogmatic about non-essential things, and we start to say that this is the only way to see this issue, we, we're actually in danger. There are some believers that would say every part of this book is essential. And there are some pastors that teach and preach that way, and they make it their job to point out everyone else in the country who's wrong or in the world and why they're wrong and why their view is the only view to have. And they don't have a lot of people at their table. I think that having those opposing viewpoints at the same table is not only important, I think it's necessary. In the same way that the back and forth of the oscillating saw helps us to cut into things that we would never be able to cut into otherwise, I think that back and forth is actually a design of God. There's something that we call the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed talks kind of about what we all, as Christian believers, really think are essentials. God the Father. He's essential. The Trinity, that there's Father, Son, and Spirit. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus came in human form and lived. He was fully God, fully man. Like these are essentials. That Jesus was crucified and buried and rose again into a resurrected body. 
These are essentials of our faith. The church of Jesus Christ, the second coming of the Lord, the eternal nature of life that we will one day live forever and ever with Jesus present on the earth. Like these are essentials of our faith. But there's also a lot of non-essentials. When you look at Romans chapter 12, in Romans chapter 12, we looked at verses 1 and 2 today, but let's look at verse 4. Paul says, For just as in one physical body we have many parts, and these parts do not all have the same function or special use, so we, who are many, are nevertheless just one body in Christ, and individually we are parts one of another, mutually dependent upon each other. I took that from the Amplified Version. I want you to notice that Paul says that we in the body of Christ are mutually dependent upon each other. The word dependent means that we need each other. Not that we tolerate or if we want to or if we... I believe the Jewish hermeneutic, the way that Jews interpret the the Old Testament, the Torah, the way that they interpret the prophets and the writings, the way that they even interpret the New Testament for those that are now believers in Jesus Christ, is not about obtaining all the right answers. For the Jew, they are comfortable, they even celebrate the unresolved tensions. In fact, there's a saying that said, if, if you have two Jews, you get three opinions. That's what they say. Because they, they love the back and forth. Jews will actually argue to the point that they spit. Yeah, and they, they just get tense and they get vehement about their beliefs. But then they sit down at a meal together. Because at the end of the day, we're Jewish. The body of Christ is called to the Lord's table together. Not because we all, in the non-essentials, see things the right way, and not because we have to come to the right answer. We have to get as comfortable in mystery as our Jewish forefathers. Mm. Perhaps the different personalities that we have in the body of Christ, perhaps the reason that God made male and female in His image are to keep us in this constant state of tension where we need one another, where the back and forth is actually what's necessary. And it's not about which, which side is right or wrong. It's actually the tension between the two. Think about that for a second. If the image of God is seen in male and female, the reality would be we need both men and women for the full image of God to be seen or understood. When we allow other people who have differing viewpoints to speak into our lives, we begin to see a fuller picture of God. The idea that we have in our culture today where I can pick and choose whether I want to be in a a church I didn't say attend church, because you don't attend church, you're in a church. The church is the body of Christ. It's not about showing up once a week, it's about being connected to that body. And it's not about just picking out the ones in that body that you think most like and hanging around with them, so you guys can become just an echo chamber unto yourselves. It's about being in a community of believers where the back and forth is absolutely necessary for us to have a full image of who God is. There are many 
different parts. They don't all have the same function. They don't all have the way of seeing. I guarantee you that your eyebrow and your kneecap have a different vision of the world. They have a different perspective. And it's not always about right and wrong. The Hebrew language itself that the Old Testament is written in is a very picture-type language. It's a kaleidoscope, if you will. You can actually turn every Hebrew word and see it from a different angle and you can get a different meaning or a different part. It's like it never stops speaking to us. And this is what's essential in the body of Christ. Take the idea of the charismatic versus the sensationist cessationist, uh, disagreement. So a charismatic would believe that the gifts of the Spirit still operate today. The cessationists would believe that the gifts of the Spirit no longer operate today, and they were only for the time of the apostles. But if we would stay at the table listening to one another, maybe the back-and-forth dialogue would keep us as charismatics from going off the deep end too far to the extreme in the gifts of the Spirit, and maybe would keep the cessationists from going too far into like a man-made church and not led by the Spirit of God. Maybe we actually need each other. And maybe it's not about proving the other right or wrong as much as it is just listening to each other and growing from one another. Throw into that the American idea, or I hate to use this word, but the the American arrogance that sometimes creeps into our lives. Where we, what do we have to learn from believers in other parts of the world? Sometimes we feel like we're the saviors of the world. Like it's our job to be the missionaries everywhere. And what does the church in another part of the world? I challenge you to start listening to the ways that believers in other parts of the world interpret the scripture. Because you will learn where your American ideology comes across in the scripture and where the word of God actually is. I guarantee you that the way we in the West interpret the book of Revelation and the way a persecuted Christian in the Middle East interprets the book of Revelation are going to be two different interpretations. And those are some of the things that we're going to wrestle with and talk through because I believe Revelation is both an encouragement and a warning. I believe it's an encouragement because God is going to be faithful. In spite of the evil of the age, God's kingdom will prevail. Victory is assured, and we as his followers should embrace the kingdom of the Lamb. That's the encouragement. I believe there's also a warning against allegiance to the beast and his empire. Traditionally, in most of the churches we were raised in, we were taught to look for this obvious evil kingdom and this obvious evil antichrist that's going to come on the the scene as we get nearer and nearer at the end times. That is the most recent of all the views and the takes on the book of Revelation. That's actually the most recent in church history. That wasn't the most widely uh, acknowledged or even believed for most of church history on the way to take the book of Revelation. And so what we've done now is we scour the headlines of our newspapers to try to make sense of the book of Revelation, and we speculate. And in 1988, we had 88 reasons Jesus is coming back in 1988. And then the book in 1989, 89 reasons Jesus is coming back in 1989. And here's the thing. I don't know that that's wrong, And I don't know that even that take on the book of Revelation is wrong, but when we start to like try to make the book of Revelation fit our day and age first, we're going to error. And we don't want to do that. 
So as we look at the book of Revelation, and as we wrestle with some of these ideas, I think we're going to see that there are beast-like qualities in every kingdom of the earth. All of them. There is not one kingdom of the earth that will be still in operation when Jesus sets up his final kingdom. One kingdom. And that's what we've been called to. And so as Americans or as Canadians or as whatever nationality, we have to wrestle in the book of Revelation, can we give too much allegiance to our country of origin? Are we in danger of worshiping the beast? And I believe yes. Well, where is the line? Well, I'm going to leave the line to you and the Holy Spirit to figure out. Because I don't know that that's my place. In fact, maybe you need to be at my table and going back and forth with me so that neither of us goes too far in either direction. I will tell you that the book, Reading Revelation Responsibly, will tell you that, there is, um, that there's no way to be a patriot. Like, you just, you just can't. Uh, I, I feel like he goes too far. Uh, I put the book out there because I feel like it's a great resource and he's brilliant and he does a lot of good stuff. But his views on the idea that you can't be a patriot at all, uh, I tempered with another book called How to Be a Christian Patriot because I believe you can be both. I believe you can love your country of origin and be a Christ follower. I believe you can take the love of country too far. But in his book, Richard Mao writes this, on the one end are people who simply equate God and country, insisting that the true destiny of the United States is to live up to our calling as a Christian nation. He'll wrestle with the idea of American exceptionalism or American destiny, that God has chosen the United States to fulfill his purposes on the earth. And the, the danger of this type of mindset is that we can downplay the flaws of our nation. I can tell you that the treatment in our nation's history of Native Americans and blacks is a stain on our nation. It is. The way that we used Scripture to justify the treatments of both groups, the way that we talked about taking over the, the land of Canaan and expelling the Canaanites, referring to the Native Americans, is not okay. It is something that we should acknowledge. Unless we think that's in the distant past, let's not forget that the civil rights movement of the 1960s and the Christian response to Martin Luther King was to call him, for the majority of Christians, a communist. He was not celebrated until after his death, especially by the church. And even after the civil rights movement, many Christian churches continued to fight against the idea of desegregation. Many of our Christian universities fought to maintain a right to keep blacks and whites from intermarrying at their universities. And at the threat of you losing their IRS tax-exempt status, they took the government to court, citing the Scripture as the reason that blacks and whites should not marry. Lest we think this is distant past, we had on staff many a year ago, many a years ago, a couple that were biracial. He was black and she was white. And I promise you that some of the derogatory comments they received, not from any member of our church that I know of, but from others in the state of South Dakota, Christians, 
because of their interracial marriage is, is unbiblical. I'll just say. These are bad things. The treatment of women in our nation's history, our greed, our lust for power, our control. The play Alexander Hamilton shows us that even in our nation's past, there was some animosity and there was some stuff in the lives of these men that founded our country that are not biblical things. And it's okay to acknowledge that. In fact, George Washington, if you remember, in his final address to our nation, warned not to be a part of a two-party political system. Do you know why he warned against it? Because of what we're seeing today would be the thing that would happen. The demonizing of the other side. We should never have that. Our founding father. And yet, we disregarded it, and now we demonize the other side. James Madison in the Federalist Papers, wrote this. Madison posed the question of how a properly functioning government should deal with the presence of factions, partisan groups, whose activities pose a threat to civil society. And he specifically mentioned zeal for different opinions concerning religion as one of the factors that divided mankind into parties, inflamed them with mutual animosity, and rendered them much more disposed to vex and oppress each other than to cooperate for their common good. Yay for James Madison. There is no doubt that you should use the Scripture to shape your political views. But when we demonize the other using Scripture to bolster our political party over another political party, I believe we err. And I believe that's what we're seeing today. The idea that democracy or capitalism is biblical and every other form of government around the world is not, <laughs> I think the British monarchy might be a little more biblical than democracy, but that's just me. I mean, so the idea, it's not wrong to love your country. It's not wrong to even be a part of a political party. For myself, I became an independent years ago because I needed to, because I was leaning too far to one side and I was becoming out of bounds, I felt. And so for my sake, I became an independent. Everyone can't be an independent because people have to run under a political party in our system. No one could ever run for government office if they didn't run through a political party. Well, I actually think we could if we actually changed the tide, but that's a different story for a different day. This isn't civics class. So the idea that we label everyone who disagrees with us as an evil communist or an evil Marxist is not a new thing. And it's not something that I think should be a part of the body of Christ. All systems of the world are flawed. But we need to stay at the table with all of those different people because the back and forth is important. Now, on the other side, just so you know, we're not getting to the book of Revelation today, so don't get nervous. We're getting there next week, just setting it up. On the other side, he writes this. On the other end are the folks who see all expressions of patriotism as bad, with special disdain when love of country is connected to religious faith. Now here's the thing. We may not be the God-ordained greatest nation on the earth, but there is no doubt God has blessed this nation. No nation can be as blessed or rise as fast as we have without the hand of God upon it. Any nation of the world, okay, not just America, 
the ideals of life and freedom and liberty that are ingrained in our founding are actual biblical principles that we should live by. While we haven't lived out those ideals perfectly, we still continue to strive for them. I believe there's a biblical call to honor our leaders, honoring our first responders, honoring those who have fought for our nation. I know there are Christians that don't believe war is a moral thing, that war is immoral. I, be- I know that. But you can sit at the table with someone who has served our country and fought in a war and still honor them as a person and a, fi- a, fo- a fellow Christ follower. That should be in the body of Christ. And if we can't do that, I doubt we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. Because both of us have gone too far and given too much allegiance to our our political views. We have to stay at the table. I'll admit that I was sickened by the, the church's response to Bill Clinton and actually using what happened under the Clinton administration and to use his name, uh, oh, oh, I pulled a Clinton. Yeah, I've actually heard believers use his name as, in a derogatory way to downplay him. That should never be a part of the, of the kingdom of God ever. Every human being is made in the image of God. And now we've gone to the other side where the church has said, well, the character of the person who serves no longer really matters as long as their views are correct. The hypocrisy of the way that the church has navigated this political scene is really not good when we want to start talking about the kingdom of the Lamb. Many Christians have differences of opinions We have to make sure that our political allegiance never grows larger than our allegiance to the Lamb. We have to make sure that our political allegiance never grows larger than our allegiance to the Lamb. And the differences that we even have politically might be there to keep us from moving to the extremes in the same way that they do in the body of Christ. One of the biggest hot topics that will probably be a hot topic again now that the NFL season is back among us is whether or not as a Christian we should kneel or stand during the anthem. And here's the thing. I understand those who have fought for our country and the emotion that gets attached to the flag when you see it. I've never fought for our country. My dad did. My dad was away from home for a year during Desert Storm to serve our country. So I know what it's like in some ways to experience that. And so I know how difficult it can be when other people disrespect something that means so much to you. But I want to challenge you not to let your allegiance to the flag become greater than your allegiance to the Lamb. For those who choose to kneel, I understand, I've had conversations. If you would actually be a safe person to have a conversation with a person of color, you could actually hear things from their side in a way that's not going to be derogatory but they're not going to share it if you're not a safe person. 
And I understand why they kneel. Honestly, I'd like to do both. And sometimes I just feel trapped in the middle between two valuable thoughts. Wondering who will stand for the Lamb. I want us to learn to stay at a table with people who do things that hurt us because I think that's the kingdom of the Lamb. We lay down our lives. As you read through the book of Revelation, I want you to notice how often Jesus is portrayed as bloodied with his own blood in the book of Revelation. Never with the blood of his enemies. Never. So as we begin to unpack the book of Revelation, I know that today maybe sounded more like a civics course than a scripture, but I believe it was an important discussion before we dive into the book of Revelation so that while we talk about some of these things later, we can temper them with this message. The message of Revelation, as I said at the beginning, is really a message of God's faithfulness and a warning against giving too much allegiance to the Lamb. We have a very difficult day to navigate. It is. But I believe with the help of God's Word and God's Spirit, Restoration Church can navigate that. And I believe we could be a trendsetter right here in Huron, South Dakota. It'll be a challenge. But I think we can. I want to give you one verse from Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, before we pray. This is kind of a key verse in the book of Revelation. It's actually in there twice. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. That's a good word. And so, Father, I thank you for your mercy, which is new every morning. God, as I look around our world today, my heart could be troubled. It's easy to slip into a place of despair and hopelessness, criticalness. But you are the God of all hope. And the book of Revelation tells us that in the end, you will stand upon the earth, your kingdom in its fullness. But I pray for our church over these next several weeks that you would help us to have the patient endurance, to begin to have the patient endurance that we will need to make it through these last days. That you would help us to remain faithful to your word, to keeping your commands. And that we would be faithful to Jesus, to the life that he modeled as we live out our days here on this earth. 
Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear. Help us to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to get angry. Give us the grace we need for this hour, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. I want to encourage you. Uh, I'll be sending out a message today for the the reading plan on the YouVersion Bible app, Reading Revelation Wisely. I, f- I forget. I, it's, it's like the book, but it's a different word. Um, it's a seven-day one, and we're going to... Ch- chapter six or day six actually only has us reading revelation one through three and i'm going to challenge us to read actually one through eleven before we move on to day seven we've got three weeks to read seven days worth of stuff on you version so that means once every three days if you could do one of those i beg you as your pastor i beg you to do this with me beg see me begging there i am so if you could if you don't have access to Uversion, I'm not sure how I could get you the videos, but let me know and we'll try to do something. So thanks for being here this morning. Don't forget to stop by the table. Offering baskets are out there for global outreach and tithes and offerings. Lots of information about our church. We'd love you to stop there before you leave. God bless you as you go today.